Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We have a very special guest on the show today, one of my good friends from Twitter, very big Cubs fan, Brandon Bender. Brandon's been on the show before, but it's been a while, so we were happy to have him back this week. We are going to reminisce, the three of us, about some of our favorite regular season Cubs memories. This does not include postseason, only regular season, because there's plenty to choose from over the years in the regular season. Uh, first, Adam, my co-host, uh, how you doing today? Fantastic. Good to hear. Brandon, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me, Alex. I'm great. It's it's great to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It really means a lot to me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What have you been um, involved with in sports or just maybe a little bit about your fandom? Well, uh, born in Chicago, I'm 29 years old. I was born a Cubs fan. As I have been around for all six of the Bulls titles. And I, I, uh, when I was 11, I moved away, but I kept my Chicago roots and my family's here. And then after college, I uh, decided to come back home. That was seven years ago now, and I've been back ever since. And since coming home, I've been or I've witnessed uh, three uh, championships, and those are the, the Hawks Cup wins from 2013, 2015, and of course 2016. So you weren't around for 2010, were you? Uh, I, w- I was still living in Indiana at the time. Okay, okay. I, uh, like I said, I kept my family roots. Good. Yeah, that's good. You always got to keep your family roots no matter where you go. Okay, guys. So a few weeks ago, when everything was canceled... I went on Twitter and did this little uh, Cubs Madness type bracket. And no, Cubs Madness is not a very original name. And I know other people have used similar names in other brackets. So don't give me any points for creativity. I know Adam certainly wouldn't because he likes to rail on me every time he gets. Um, But uh, regardless, I made this bracket and I thought, okay, how can we make this somewhat fair? Because if you make an all-time Cubs bracket, I think it's pretty obvious that certain things are going to win. Like, if we put postseason games on here, obviously Game 7 of the World Series is going to be the winner. So let's do regular season game. And that was a lot more fun because there were so many to choose from, and you could organize it a bit better. And I... I put it into four categories, like kind of four divisions, so to speak, to make this bracket. I did uh, historical pitching performances, playoff clinchers, not postseason series clinchers, but clinching a playoff spot in the regular season, historic days at the plate, and crazy comebacks. And that was that. Those categories made it pretty easy to make. Uh, Brandon, I know you followed uh, the bracket pretty closely. Adam, I know you've taken a quick look at it, but uh, regardless of what people voted for, I kind of wanted to talk about some of our favorites. Before we just go into this bracket at all, I'll just ask each of the two of you. Um, Adam, let's start with you. What's your favorite all-time regular season Cubs memory? (sighs) Regular season? Probably Mm Arietta no-hitter against L.A. That's the first first one that, that... comes to 
comes to my mind. Okay. Uh, Brandon, what about you? Well, for me, it's really hard because you can pick um, a team from 98. That team had a lot of great memories, which is the first team I really start following. You could pick 03 or any memories from those bad teams, or you could pick anything from the most recent golden era. And, you know, for, for me, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this for me, I'll say Dexter Fowler's go ahead home run uh, in the beginning of 2015 at Colorado, the first week of the season oh. in the ninth inning. Cause that's when I first realized that, you know what, this could be a really, really fun season. And boy, was it ever. Yeah, that was a good one. And sometimes I think that gets forgotten. And it was kind of sweet for Cubs fans because that was off former Cub with Troy Hawkins, who was not exactly a fan favorite in Chicago, <laughs> to say the least. Um, okay, so those are some pretty good answers. Now if we kind of dig into the bracket, I wanted to dig in first into the historic pitching performances. Adam, you mentioned Arietta's no-hitter in L.A., Mm-hmm. The one that a lot of people voted for, and this is no surprise, this was the number one seed. I was only four years old at the time. Adam, I know you were young. Brandon, you might have a better memory of this, but Kerry uh, Woods' 20 strikeout game is obviously a pitching performance that's talked about by everybody, not just Cubs fans, but by everybody. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, what an accomplishment it was. Uh, I've watched that game many times on replay. I wish I could have seen it live or at least remembered it. I was four years old. Yeah, uh, But that was a great one. My dad was at that game, fun fact. Was he really? He was, yeah. Him and his buddies were he at sitting? that game. Did he ever... I, th- I, th- I think they were bleachers. I think they were in the bleachers in the outfield in that game. I, because, you know, what's really unique about that game is that there wasn't a lot of people there. There wasn't. It was a small crowd. Well, I, I think the weather wasn't perfect either, and I uh, no I, game from that. There season, was also a Bulls playoff game later that day. Yeah, and the Bulls were in the middle of their last dance, and that 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 should be a fun documentary series. But anyway, w- Woods' twenty strikeout game I think was the first game of that magical '98 season where we'd see a lot of great things. Yeah, because that was uh, early May. It was May 6th. And, you know, they were 16 and 5 at the time. So it wasn't like they were in first place or anything or really. I mean, it was too early to really look at a wild card race. It was only May. Uh, but I think that was the day when things really started to turn around for the Cubs when they got the attention. Because when the Bulls were in the middle of the playoffs, the, the city was focusing on the Bulls by far. By far. I mean, Michael Jordan was bigger than the Beatles. But then when Kerry Wood threw that game, the attention started to shift, and then Sammy Sosa started hitting things. And I say things, I mean a lot of baseballs. Breaking records and hitting 20 home runs in June. You know, I I wish I was alive to witness. Well, I was alive, just old enough to remember that 98 season. It was, that was a Cub team that never had a chance in the playoffs. But boy, was that a fun team to watch, uh, just looking at the replays. Brandon, weren't you at one of those Sosa home run games? Um, unfortunately, no. My mom was, but 
I should okay. stay home and watch it, which which I I don't remember how I reacted, but it was still a lot of fun to watch on TV because those two games that weekend, the the one the day before where Orlando Marset hit the walk off in the uh, ninth or the tenth inning, and then the the day the next day when Sosa hit both sixty one and sixty two, that was another crazy game too, and. I saw both of those games from the house. My mother was there, though, when Sosa hit the, the big dingers onto uh, Kenmore. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I got a question for both of you. We have witnessed multiple clinchers. This is what, it, this is what gets me. And I'm just going to reference back to uh, the voting we had. One of the f- final... Uh, games to get through to like the final four was 2016 the air quote clincher where Miggy hit the walk off that beat out all of the other clinchers that wasn't even a clinching game I get it that was the year that they won the world series but if I were voting for this I think that 2003 clincher uh, that whole day that double header where they swept the pirates that'd be the one I'd vote for what about you guys Hmm. Go go ahead, Brandon. Well, yeah, I I actually thought the 2003 clincher was bigger than the 16 one because the 2003 team came out of nowhere. They had you know very right. low expectations after losing 95 games a season before. They bring in a new manager, Dusty Baker. They have a young pitching staff with Pryor and Wood and uh, an offense with a lot of veterans and also some. Uh, good young talent and that that whole 2003 season was just really fun because it happened out of the blue and that to and that double header Alex you mentioned the uh, they won their first game when Pryor was on the mound that was the first game of the double header in Houston I remember watching game on TV they showed the cameras showed the final out of the Houston Milwaukee series Milwaukee was bad that year and yeah. Houston, who was fighting for a division spot, was stumbling down the stretch. And the Astros management was just hanging their heads at the end of that game. And the the cameras shot back to Wrigley and all the fans and the score. They're all standing up and cheering because the Cubs were about to win their first game of the doubleheader, which they did. And then the second game was um, Matt Clement on the mound. And yep, that's right. Who who can forget that um, game-ending double play ball, 6-4-3 from um, Gonzalez to Grudzelanek to Karos to clinch the division. And yeah. Yeah, 2016 had just an expectations through it all year long. We It was almost a given that the Cubs would win the division that whole year. And it's like, when it, the night before that clincher, they actually mathematically had already clinched the division you see right that's what i'm saying i put the air quotes around it for a reason yeah and and montero's uh home run to to win the game just emphatically was an exclamation point and right and it was we they were going to win the division that year anyway. That's what we accepted. 2003 will always have a place in my heart because it happened out of the blue. There was no expectation heading into the year whatsoever. Right. 
Adam, what's your input on that? Would you pick any of those two, or would you pick another one? Um, b- between those two, I- I'm going with uh, Miggy, just because in, in 2003, uh, I-, I will admit I wasn't really huge into baseball yet. I was only eight years old, and I wasn't really following Cubs baseball very, very often, and so I, I- I'm going with 2016. Okay. That's fair. Uh, one, I think that also deserves, well, there are two. Um, 2008, when they uh, clinched at Wrigley Field, that was pretty awesome. But boy, clinching in 2017 at Bush Stadium, I think that was even more awesome. I mean, just we'd beaten the Cardinals in the playoffs a few years earlier. So it's like, all right, what else can we check off the Cubs getting revenge against Cardinals list? And I think that was clinching a playoff spot on home turf. That was pretty awesome. Getting to celebrate at Bush Stadium. That'd be like if the Bears won a, a playoff game at Lambeau Field against the Packers, which I dream of that happening someday. But I mean, that felt really good too. And then the next day, you had the uh, Leonis Martin robbed home run to uh, officially eliminate the Cardinals from the playoffs. Uh, I wish I could have been old enough to witness the wild card game in 1998 versus the Giants. But, you know, that's another game I've rewatched quite a bit. Wasn't alive for 84, wasn't alive for uh, 89. Uh, so I can't really comment on that. But uh, 2003, that was like my first real solid Cubs memory because I was very young as well. Um, I just remember listening to the restaurant with my family listening to the final out and my dad was honking the horn and beeping and going crazy that was a fun time um so uh moving on to the next set of games we have uh offensive performances and there's a lot of good ones games to watch that i was not alive for but my dad was at in 84 the samber game and that one uh has made it very far in the bracket um, I also have rewatched the Sosa 61-62 game that we've mentioned a lot. But tell me this. In the in the Joe Madden era, do you guys have a particular game where somebody just went off that you remember very well? And we're talking about hitting here. Um, I guess... If we're talking about you know one specific moment and in an entire offensive performance, those are different things. But the first thing that pops into my mind is Schwarber's home run on top of the scoreboard. That one, that particular home run in the Madden era has stuck with me more than any other moment. Well, that was a a big fond memory too because we we defeated the big bad Cardinals in that game and. I'm also going to pick a Schwarber home run from that season, but this didn't make the cut. It was from Schwarber's debut in Cleveland when he went off on the Indians. You see, he started the season play, I think, and then they called him up for that series to be the DH. And Mm -hmm. that that was like two nights after the Hawks had won their third cup. And then the... This is Schwarber's debut, and pitchers don't know how to throw to these hitters when they make their debuts. So they're going to throw him some good pitches like the fastballs, and Schwarber just feasted on them. Yeah, you know, my Schwarber uh, memory from that season, regular season, 
Um, and this was on the bracket. Uh, remember when he was uh, the hero in Cincinnati run and then go ahead home run against the Reds? That was a great one because that game tying home run, it was a two-run home run in the ninth inning. It was an absolute moonshot. And then the go-ahead home run was a low-line drive rocket that just you know, left a vapor trails at one of the seats and the Cubs won in extras. Uh, you know, Schwarber's had a lot of big games and a lot that didn't make this list. A, a, a classic Schwarber regular season moment that I think might get forgotten a few times, but uh, you guys remember 2017 when he hit that go-ahead game-winning grand slam against the Cardinals? Schwarber's hit so many memorable home runs that it, I can't remember them all. That was the season where Schwarber was sent down when he was really struggling, but he still hit 33 home runs that year. That's right. They started him as a leadoff hitter, and truthfully, the Cubs have lacked a leadoff hitter ever since Dexter Fowler left, but I've always thought that Kyle Schwarber is a better hitter than what his average indicates because it seems that whenever the Cubs put him in the leadoff spot, his average suffers. And the same thing happened with Hayward last year. If you guys remember, Hayward was having a really nice season. And if you look at his numbers in every other batting order spot that he played in last year, he was hitting very, very well. And I know Adam did not like the Schwarber experiment at all. No, was was not a fan. Well, clearly didn't work. So you thought right. You thought right. Um, here's another game I wanted to, uh, well, that's debatable. That's debatable. Before we kill each other, eh, I, I, I disagree with your disagree. Yeah. Another game I wanted to bring up, uh, 2016, that game when Chris Bryant went crazy on the Reds. And I'm finding a theme here. The 15, 16 Cubs had a lot of good games against the Reds. But this was five for five, three home runs. That was the three seed on this bracket. It didn't make it that far, but um, it, it was it was uh, paired against, in the first round, Andre Dawson, who had a three-home run game in 87. And the thing is, both Bryant and Dawson during these seasons were the NL MVP. You know, fourth for this episode, we needed a, we need a, a, a real boomer who has legit memories of of Andre Dawson. Yeah, I should have brought my grandpa in here. He has he has memories going back to the 45 World Series. Oof. Yeah. It's been a yeah. couple years ago. Yeah, well over 70 now. Yeah, they, he says those are his earliest sports memories was the 45 World Series. Imagine being him. When they won it all. Like, I, I think to myself, I was 22 when the Cubs won the World Series, and I was ecstatic. I'm thinking about my grandpa, who's in his 80s, who waited eight decades to see it, and he finally saw it. I just, I couldn't imagine. All the stories he could tell of what he's seen at Wrigley Field. And he's seen a lot of things at Wrigley Field. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I tell, I'll tell you, I, I was... 25 and i consider myself very lucky to have only waited a quarter of a century whereas neither of my grandparents lived to see it and it, it, it we, we were lucky yeah we were we really were 
And think about, uh, <laughs> I, I do also get a chuckle. I might have been young, but think about like the 10, 12-year-old Cubs fans. Like, oh my God, finally. It's like you haven't even been alive two decades yet. That's kind of the way I felt because it, you know, I didn't really get into baseball until I was a teenager. And so the, the wait for me really wasn't all that bad. I mean, it, I think at times it, it felt worse just because the Cubs were so bad so often and just right. you, know, you feel like you sort of inherit the, the woes of the past generation and, and, and mostly just because, you know, what, what was really the worst part of it, which was actually just always funny to me, though, is that like just being a Cubs fan was was such a a joke to a lot of classmates you know i was i yeah. was always i was always the guy who rooted for the lovable losers and so that sort of exaggerated the the pain of no world series but i mean in hindsight it, it really wasn't any sort of brutal decades long wait for me <laughs> yeah, yeah. what uh i'm sorry go ahead brandon yeah. You're not. You made a good point. See, when I was 12 years old, the Cubs won the division. 2003. I was a uh, seven or eight years old. 98, and that's my really my first baseball memory. I didn't really understand any of their history at all or what it meant. It was just a lot of fun watching. I really didn't think think anything else of. And 2003 is the first failure I have experienced as a fan. And I wasn't alive for uh, 69, obviously, or 84, 89, but t- 2003 was my first taste of film. I was only 12 years old, and I only had to wait uh, 13 years more and a, a couple more very depressing NLDS sweeps to um, to finally taste success. Yes, yeah, see... In my case, uh, I was eight years old, seven, eight years old in 2003, and I remember it, and I remember it happening, but, you know, the Bartman game and the way they fell apart in the NLCS, it it just really didn't affect me really much at all, because I was still in grade school. Like, the historical impact didn't hit me. The true, like, diehard emotional investment in sports really started developing me around middle school. So like a few years later, but like as an eight year old, when the Bartman game happened, it just, it kind of happened. And uh, really my first heartbreak to me uh, for the Cubs was 2008 when they were like the best team in the NL, they looked unstoppable. And then in historic fashion, lose just awful, awful garbage games against the 84 win Dodgers, and I'll never forget that the night they got swept was my freshman year homecoming dance. And the game was on the TV, and, you know, friends were all around me saying, don't you want to dance? Don't you want to party? And, you know, I'm just clenching my fist all angry watching the TV <laughs> as the Cubs are losing. I'm like, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I was, oh, I was so mad when that happened. And, you know, I remember 2007, but... 2007, that team wasn't really that good. Where 2008, that team looked unstoppable. And it's like, okay, they clinched at Wrigley Field against the Cardinals. They won 97 games. This team's at least going to the World Series. I don't see any way. How are how are the 84-win Dodgers going to take us down And if they lost in historically awful fashion? Uh, oh, but, uh, Adam, 
and 07. And while Alex, you said you were at your freshman homecoming dance at night. I was just at home sitting on the couch, just like sitting back all slumped. And I was just watching with a long face and I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. What? A yeah. Week. Yeah. It's like a whole magical season was wasted. And I got to know, when you were in school and you were made fun of the lovable losers, what was the fan demographic like? Was there a lot of Cardinal fans? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't call them the, the majority. I, I mean, I, I definitely have a few friends who are really big Cardinals fans. I would say in my area, probably the fan favorite would be the Royals. Uh, and that we're actually, we're actually geographically, we're, we're actually a little bit closer to the Rockies, but I don't see or hear of very many Rockies fans in my area for some reason, but there tons of Royals fans. As far as my school goes though, there were a lot of really phony fair weather kind of fans. And I, the, it, to be honest with you, it was probably the Yankees. Yeah, and I don't think anybody actually had any real reason or ties to New York or anything like that. But probably the overwhelming majority of people who claimed to like baseball at that time probably mostly Yankees fans. Uh, as far yeah. as as far as legit fans in my area goes, it's the Royals. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Uh, you know, the Royals have been around a while and. You know, it's they don't have a huge fan base, but they do have a fan base. I mean, you think about the Rockies being close and I mean, the Rockies have their fans, no doubt, but they're very condensed in the Denver area. I feel like yeah. there's just not a lot of Rockies fans outside that area. You know, it's funny. Uh, you guys might get a kick out of this. My uh, one of my best friends uh, who has since moved back, lived in Colorado for a few years, and he was in Colorado when the Cubs won the World Series. There are a ton of Cubs fans in Colorado, and they said that there, he said it was like a party outside. It was like Mardi Gras on the streets of really? Denver with Cub fans celebrating. Yeah, fireworks going off, horns beeping, and I, I mean, he said it was amazing. This was a, a city that's so many miles away from Chicago, and they're celebrating like their local team just won the World Series. That is, that's kind of nuts. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I guess, is the Rockies haven't been around that long, while the Royals, the Cardinals, and the Cubs yeah. have all been around much longer, and their fan bases obviously outreach a lot further. And yeah. I mean, like I said, the Rockies do have fans, it's just it's, it's kind of a condensed group. I think a, a big part of it, too, is, uh, and, and I don't know why this is, but I think that there's a pretty heavy concentration of Cornhusker fans in Kansas City. And I, I don't know why that is, but there there seems to be a lot. And I know the Royals even have a Cornhusker night at their stadium every year. Uh, I don't know if this if it was this way when you were a kid either, but there were a ton of bandwagoners. Like it, it, a ton of the kids just like claimed their favorite team was whoever was really good at the time. Do you remember? Uh, uh, I can't remember. Like the early 2010s, maybe it was even a little earlier than that when Oregon was like a huge fad. Oh yeah, Oregon football. Yeah. Teams. Yep. You know, I'm an Illini fan. Brandon is an Illini fan. Yes. Uh, Brandon, I don't know if you know this, but the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, have Illini days. Yes. 
there are a lot of Illini fans in Chicago, but the, the teams in Chicago, the major teams, when they like do sports nights, it's always Northwestern or DePaul, which, okay, or Loyola. I get that. They're in Chicago. Of course, you know, they're going to have nights for that. But I just, they don't do as much Illini stuff as you'd think they would when there's a lot of Illini fans all over the state. And, and yet they do it in, in St. Louis. And, and, you know, Alex, it's funny you say that because last spring I was at one of the games on Authentic Fan Night and I was sitting standing out in the plaza there uh, next to the set where Cap and all the other guys were. And uh-huh. then right behind me came Josh Whitman. And, you know, it's totally him. He's wearing an Illinois polo. And I stopped and we got a quick selfie. And I shook his hand and I just said, thanks for coming. And uh, he said, go Illini. And that's when I realized and thought to myself, is tonight Illini night at Wrigley? And it, it was, but I just don't feel like the team did a very good job of marketing it. No, because I don't remember. I, I seriously don't remember Illini night at all. I remember Loyola night. I remember North when they do like Northwestern. I remember DePaul. I honestly don't remember Illini stuff happening. I mean, the only time I remember Illini stuff happening at Wrigley was when the Illini beat the Wildcats uh, in the football game there in, what was that, 2010? 2010, and they cut off access to the east end zone because yes. it was close to the wall. Yes. That was an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah that, that, that should have been planned a little bit better. thing is, now they can do that, uh, have football there. Uh, easier because they have those uh, like metal stands the first few rows so they can remove those and make room for it what I would love to see so much and I don't think it'll ever happen with the NFL but I want to see a throwback Bears game at, at Wrigley Field I would love to see that someday I think that'd be so cool but I don't know if the NFL would go for it with the capacity and and we've seen the the winter classic there too. So yes, you know, it, it it's something out of the blue that would definitely work from a marketing standpoint. But I just logistically, I don't know if it's feasible. Right, that's the thing. I mean, it's one thing to try to squeeze in a college field. It's another to try to squeeze in modern day regulation NFL with all the, you know, rules and whatnot, it's it's hard to it's hard to make that a thing, you know, even though Wrigley Field still remains to this day as one of the highest on the list of active uh stadiums in America to host NFL games, believe it or not. To this day. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean the Bears played there from the twenties uh until the uh, early seventies. I mean most of the great history of the Chicago Bears happened at Wrigley Field. I mean, you take away 85 and even 06, all that great history the Bears ever had, that was all when they played at Wrigley Field. Honestly. Yeah. A, lot of bad, a lot of bad teams at Soldier Field. That's sad, but true. Also. Yeah, indeed. So the, I want to get to the last bit on the bracket. Crazy comebacks. Uh, this includes walk-offs or just comebacks in general. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you again. When you think of a crazy Cubs comeback, what's the first one that pops into your head? 
Uh, definitely, uh, what year was it? The Braves, the Braves game. Uh, 2018. 2018, yeah, Braves 2018. Yeah, down 9-2. to They came all the way back. The anniversary of that game was either like yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was, it was an April game, yeah. And, and, you know, Alex, speaking of anniversaries, that this was on social media earlier today, the Sosa Alou back-to-back homers against the Red in 2004. That was 16 years ago today, April 16th, 2004. Oh, I didn't realize that. That is on the bracket. Yeah. That is on the bracket. And, and if you guys uh, remember, Sosa's home run tied Ernie Banks's record for the Cubs' home run list. Alou won the game. That was the game where uh, Ramon Martinez let off the inning with a double, but he was later called out because apparently Dusty Baker did not communicate the double switch with the home plate umpire, CB. Yes. And I, I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but I vividly remember watching Baker getting agitated and really, really angry, pointing at the home plate. And like, then he threw his lineup card down and his hat and then he got tossed and then the fans started throwing debris from the bleachers out into the field. And it was just really crazy. Yeah, that was a crazy game. And that game's on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch that. Um, For me, uh, the one that I I will always remember was the Aramis Ramirez walk-off home run against the Brewers in 2007. And I went to the game after that and the Brewers smoked the Cubs. So lucky me. And then the one I missed, oh, the Bodie Grand Slam. Yes. yes, I missed that one too. Did you see that one, Adam, or did you miss that one as well? No, I watched that one. I, and and uh, we actually, I was watching that with my dad, and we flipped to it when they were down, and, and we were both being pretty pessimistic about it. And then we were, we were both kind of left speechless after the Grand Slam. It's something you dream about as a kid. Every day when you're out in your backyard you're saying, okay, it's a full count, bases are loaded, two outs, the a home run wins the game, and it's going deep, deep, it's gone, and the Cubs win. It, it's, it was a dream come true for David Bode in that sense. Yeah, it was an ultimate walk-off grand slam where it wasn't like, okay, you're down by one, and then you win it with a grand slam. It was... In order to win the game, it was a grand slam or nothing. I was interning at the time with the Chicago Bandits. And Brandon, I think that was the year you interned with the Dogs. I think that was the same summer, 2018. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, I'm sure you know this. Uh, Not not your parking garage, but there was the other parking garage between the Bandits Stadium and the Dogs Stadium. And it was the last regular season game for the Bandits. And, you know, we were there late. The interns are there late after the game, taking care of the stadium and whatnot. And then we get our final talking and then we leave for the night. And I get the notification that Bodie hit the walk-off home run as I'm in that parking garage unlocking my car. I just, I suddenly hear the buzz. I look down and I see Bodie homer to center. Uh, Elmora, Zobris, Hayward scored. I think those are who were on base. Um, and then suddenly uh, Cubs for Nationals 3. I'm like, what? So I quickly get in the car, turn on the radio, and all you heard on the radio was just like the Go Cubs Go echoing and thousands of people cheering. Like Ron, uh, 
Ron Coomer and Pat Hughes were just letting the moment breathe. Ah, I just wish I could have seen it live, but I'll never forget driving home, listening to that post game on the radio. That was a great feeling. And it sucks that the 2018 Cubs didn't go anywhere in the playoffs because they had some crazy wins that year. Yeah, they did. And they had a better season than what everybody remembers, unfortunately, because of the way it ended. Right. You know, I just I I like to think that the Brewers were a team that that just got really, really hot and they they just outreached the Cubs. They took it away from us. It's just frustrating knowing that if the Cubs would have just squeaked out one more win, like you look at a lot of, they had a lot of great wins. They also had some pretty bad losses that year. If you could have just flipped one of those losses into wins, they would have won the division, even with the Brewers getting insanely hot. The Brewers had to do the impossible to win the, win the division. Like their chances of winning the division were like microscopic and they somehow did it. If they would have just lost one game in that final week, then the Cubs would have won the division. And they also would have been the top seed and had home field advantage throughout the NL playoffs. I and, think about what that season could have been. Yeah. And there's one other game here that wasn't in the bracket that I still remember vividly was a Chris Bryant walk-off or uh, it was, it was a walk-off home run in 2015 and it was um, against the Rockies Oh, yes. It was a couple of days after they'd been no hit by um, Cole Cole Hamels. And I I was at the game the day after Hamels threw that no hitter. And then then the following day, I think on that Monday, the Cubs were losing by, I think, two runs. And they... I, I can't. It might have been Brian, but I can't remember who it was. But someone hit a walk-off home run to win the game, and that seemed to springboard their season for and their second-half run. Yeah, that was Chris Bryant against the Rockies. They were down by one. The Cubs they they had the lead going in the ninth, and then Rafael Soriano blew the save, and then Chris Bryant hit the two-run home run to win it. That's yeah, that was uh, off. Uh, I think it was. John Axford, I think he hit it off of. Yeah. That's a good one, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers that bracket. Now, all right, I'm going to put you two on the spot. Looking at that bracket, if you had to pick your number one favorite game, you could only pick one. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to let Brandon go first okay. while I think okay. about this. All right, Brandon, what's your answer? A lot of great games. There are a lot of fond memories. So you have the Terry Wood 20K game, which might be my very first baseball memory. You have the 2003 NL Central clincher, and you have the Bode Grand Slam and Sosa Alou homers. And, you know, even though I might still be bitter that I was snatched of a ticket, I, I'm going to say Sosa's 61 and 62 home runs because that was when I, the Cubs had a legit chance to play off race and, and make, making the postseason. And that was my first 
time really experiencing any success at all. And I, I just think that that game, that whole weekend in series against the Brewers was spectacular. And Sosa's home runs to pull even in the home run chase were just icing on the cake. All right. Good answer, Adam. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Arietta's first no hitter just because I, I watched that whole game and I'm like a kid in this regard that even to this day, when I watch a game uh, from the very get go, uh, I'm always, am I, am I going to watch a no hitter here? Am I going to see one of those? And obviously that 99.999% of the time it doesn't happen. But for this one game, I think it, it, it was, it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth inning that I started to think, my God, am I, am I actually watching one here? And, Jason. And so that that's that that'll be my pick. All right. That's a good one. I remember that well. I was a senior in college. My dorm did not have cable and it was on ESPN, so I couldn't watch it, but I was following it. And then uh, when the ninth inning came, I listened on the radio. Uh, same thing with uh, Arietta second no hitter that was on uh, CSN plus. And uh, I listened to that on the radio with my roommates. Uh, both of those no hitters. Those are really, uh, those are really good memories. Really, really good memories. The first no hitter I ever saw, uh, obviously, was Big Z, because the one before that was Milt Pappas in 1972. He's not alive in 1972, but that, Big Z's no hitter was great. Yeah, that game was played in Milwaukee. Even though it was against Houston, because Houston was recovering from a hurricane and Hurricane Ike, they couldn't play the game there. Milwaukee was kind enough to let the teams use their stadium. Yeah, and that wasn't exactly home field for the Astros, was it? Because they packed a lot of people in Miller Park, and they were all Cub fans. Yeah, it was it was basically a home game, just without the home rules. I think that's the most vivid memory I have from 2008, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a big one. I mean, that happened in September when they were closing in on the division. And it was kind of one of those things where when they saw that happen, when they saw their ace throw no hitter, it felt like, man, this is a sign, right? Like this team has got to be going all the way. This is this has got to be the year. Obviously, it wasn't, but at the time, it felt like it was destiny. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, at least we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, after, because you know, it's funny when they got swept in two thousand eight. I said, you know what? Maybe there really is a curse. Yeah. Like, that's got to be the only explanation, right? Maybe there truly is a curse. Luckily, we don't have to think about that anymore. But at the time, I, I, I was that was crossing my mind. The only other time where I thought there was actually a curse crossing my mind for a few minutes was when Rajay Davis hit the home run oh. in Game 7. But I'd argue that was even worse. Oh, yeah. The Rajay Davis home run on a night that I felt in the end best as a sports fan, oh. that Rajay Davis home run, that, that night had the lowest to low and the highest to high. And I'm sure you guys would feel the same. Absolutely. I I, I still remember feeling my heart drop as I, he hit that ball and I saw it just go on. I, I held my head. I, 
and then I opened my mouth like a wide open gape and I just shook my head and just said, this is not happening. And, and then I remember when they went back out to the ninth inning in the top of the ninth, the Cubs had a chance to plate the go ahead run across, but they couldn't do it. And then the ninth inning, you send Chapman back out there again, he's running on fumes. I'm like, this is it. This is when we die. And, and, I I've seen the replay of the Jason Kipnis fall ball over and over again, but I don't remember that happening in real time. Cause when you see the replay, it's really not close. It's not close at all. Like it didn't have the distance. It was fouled by a good 15, 20 feet. Yeah. Um, I, it was, I think it was one of those things where our, our minds and hearts were just palpitating so fast where you reacted to everything very differently. Um, yeah. From, from the bottom of the ninth through the rain delay, that was the that was the stretch of about thirty minutes of that night where it was just a blur to me. Where I can remember exactly where I was standing and sitting throughout most of that game, but bottom of the ninth and the rain delay, that was just a big blur, just oh. one big blur. Because after Baez bunted foul for strike three, and then. Fowler hit that dribbler up the middle that I thought off the bat was going to go up the middle and through oh, yeah. right there. I, I thought it was over. I'm like, we're going to lose. There's no way we're going to win. And Baez tried to butt home uh, the runner on a squeeze and that failed. And that was a pitch right down the middle. He could have driven that at least for a sack fly. But you know what? We don't have to speculate because in the end they won. And that's that's what I always try to tell myself. The greatest game seven in World Series history, and the Cubs won it. Yep, exactly. One of the great games in the history of sports. To be on the right side feels good because if you're on the wrong side, you get you get it heard talked about a lot, but you know you lost it. That's never a good feeling, and that narrative now would be completely different because let's assume that they lost and. Joe Madden and Theo Epstein's 10 years would all be viewed as a failure. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you don't win that elusive world series, it absolutely would have been a failure. No question. And now we can, you know what, even though things didn't end as gracefully as we'd hoped with Joe Madden, it was still a success because he got us a world series. And that, you know, it's simple as that. He is the perfect manager at the perfect time. Exactly. And that's why they moved in and snagged him. Good on them for doing it. It was the perfect fit. All right, guys. Well, this is just about going to do it tonight on Climbing the Ivy. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. Adam, as always, thank you so much for being part of the show and, you know, being my partner throughout all these days. And, you know, it's been tough to not talk about any news, actual news or actual baseball that's going on. But, you know, like I've said in the past, we're trying everything that we can uh, to keep our listeners entertained and engaged. And we're going to continue to do that as best we can. So uh, just a reminder to our listeners, you could check Cubby's Crib out at cubbyscrib.com. You could also check out their Facebook and Twitter pages. Just look up Cubby's Crib. You'll be able to find it. Also, you could check out the rest of this podcast on iTunes.com. Until next time, he's Brandon. He's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.